0: Welcome, golf fans. You're listening to Tales from the First Tee. I'm Rich Easton, broadcasting from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. This episode is dedicated to all the golfers out there that like to wager money on the outcome of their golf match. I mean, isn't golf hard enough without adding the element of betting on your performance? but to the athlete that wants the ball with three seconds left on the clock. Betting on golf is guaranteed to trigger their sympathetic nervous system. It's like our lives have become so predictable that we need to create a fight or flight environment in hopes that our adversaries choose flight. But wagering establishes more than just risk and reward. It adds texture to the experience. The act of putting becomes magnified when you have to sink a putt that means more than a number on a scorecard. I mean, how many times have we imagined being on the 18th green in a major with a putt that wins the tournament and the crowd goes wild? Well, some of us, many of us, all right, most of us, almost all of us won't be in that position, but a bet gets us inches closer. Oh, if I can just make this one. (laughs) In addition to adding the extra texture, golf betting galvanizes camaraderie. When you play with a partner, the sound of the bet resonates on every hole. For some, the mention of the bet sounds like a battle cry. For others, it sounds like the sound of their dirty uncle making comments at Thanksgiving dinner. I mean, you just don't want to hear it. When you bet with partners, you experience what it's like to lead or be shoulder. Ham and egging it creates an invisible bond of reliance. When you and your partner walk off the 18th green victorious, it feels a hell of a lot better than losing and then having to open up your wallet. I mean, wagering adds juice to the experience and energizes the game to an entirely other level. The endorphin rush from executing exactly what you intended... Winning a hole or a match just means more when something's at stake. Some golfers play for dough, some play for drinks, or some play for a meal of choice to the winner. I started a couple over the summer that told me they were playing for sexual favors, and I was thinking, man, that's a win-win. In that case, they both got to experience the added juice. Golf betting is the activity of predicting results and placing a wager on the outcome. I mean, how could somebody possibly predict the outcome of a sport that relies on the rub of the green and the unfortunate bounce of the ball? Well, I have a few thoughts on this. One is, it's highly ego-driven. A person's feeling of self-esteem or self-importance can drive them to make decisions that test their resolve. I mean, you might not be able to predict the outcome of every swing, but you're confident that you have a better handle on it than your competition. I was paired up with these two golfers at San Clemente Municipal Golf Course in Southern California. They were longtime golf buddies and seemed to have a saying for everything, so I just remembered them. I mean, their names were Liam and Oliver, and they would just about bet on everything. We get to the 15th hole, which is a 150-yard par 3, with this elevated tee box and a severely sloping barranca between the tee box and the green. Most golfers experiencing it for the first time get anxious and hit it short into the Barranca. When it was time to tee it up, Liam took out his six iron to make sure he cleared the hazard. and His buddy Oliver remarked that, hey, it's only 150 yards. The green's 20 yards below our feet. Hit an eight iron. And Liam's response was, yeah, I, I just don't think so. But Oliver, trying to be helpful, said, hey, you know you could hit an eight iron one hundred and fifty yards over the hazard, and Liam just looked at him and said, "Yeah, I know I can. I just never have." Some golfers rely on their competitors to wilt under pressure, particularly when the stakes are raised. He'd be playing a couple hundred dollars a hole, nothing but, and then he'd be playing some guy for like a hundred thousand dollars, <laughs> like. He's like, Charles, pick that up. I'm like, this putt is for $200. He's like, pick that up, Charles. Get out of my way. You're in my line. I said, well, how much is that putt for? He's like, $300,000. I said, let me get out of your line. (laughs) (laughs) Is this just hardwired into our brains? Well, history would tell us that intimidation has always been a weapon used to reduce the opposing armies into a truce. Psychological warfare. I mean, Genghis Khan who had each of his soldiers light three torches at night to give the illusion of an overwhelming army. Or how about when the U.S. Army wanted to capture Manuel Noriega for drug trafficking in Panama. He was holed up in his fortress for weeks and the U.S. military set up these concert speakers outside and blasted heavy metal music for days until he surrendered. strategy of intimidation used correctly can destroy the morale of the enemy so how do you intimidate somebody in the sport of golf it's fairly quiet sport some say that cracking long drives making long putts birdieing holes two or three in a row will weaken your opponent i mean you can't play defense in this sport well if you think that you don't know my buddy billy hey smells Thousand bucks, you missed that putt. My buddy Billy always calculates the odds of winning in everything he does. And if he thinks his odds are low, he tries to manipulate the results. We call him Vegas Billy because he likes to stack the deck in his favor. When he's not trying to count cards at the blackjack tables in Vegas, he's arranging the order of his baseball team to secure a win or calling out the other team for having an unauthorized player. On the tennis courts, he talks to players on the other side of the net to distract them from the game. In golf, he takes defense to an entirely different level. He'll tell other golfers what they're likely to do on the next shot right before they tee it up. Or when he thinks the match is getting crucial, he'll make sure to tell everybody where they stand and the fact that he might have a stroke on that hole. Then he'll go on by saying something like, Didn't you hit it in the water last time we played here? When that doesn't work, he'll do things like jingling coins in his pocket right when somebody's going to putt, or he'll seem to be very honorable by taking the flag out of the hole when somebody's putting, just to make sure that he moves the flag just enough so you can see the shadow when you're trying to putt. I mean, come on, man. (laughs) That's distraction. But why do golfers put up with that type of psychological warfare? I mean, sometimes it's so comical, it's entertaining. Sometimes it's a challenge. It's like he lays down a gauntlet, and you just want to pick it up and beat him. Hey, when he's on your team, the odds get stacked in your favor. He's a really nice guy off the course. He's just trying to even up the odds because golf is is not his primary sport. And some would even say he stinks, but he doesn't think that because he knows how to win a bet. You know, they say that most golf bets are won on the first tee. And Vegas Billy makes sure he gets enough strokes just to give himself a fighting chance. The Golf Handicap System helps golfers of different skills and performance levels compete fairly on almost every golf course. I mean, academically, it's a well-formulated system that predicts future performance by calculating past performance. If all golfers posted every score from every one of their rounds in an official manner, then I would say this is bulletproof it's foolproof, but the thing is this not everybody does it because nobody wants to lose money on a golf course so what's the best way to give yourself an advantage just tell your foursome the horrible score you posted in recent times and hope they use that to determine your strokes i mean we all have shitty rounds but the handicap algorithm just doesn't work that way and here's what i've found Most of the time when somebody claims a higher handicap than they actually have, it tends to manifest itself that day and they just have the shittiest round. And the foursome they're playing with will help to remind them of what they said their handicap was. Other than golf pros, amateur competitors, most country club members, and serious golfers in general, the majority of golfers don't keep a handicap or omit certain scores that would have a material outcome on their indexes. Why is it worth mentioning? Because most golf bets are one on the first tee box. Just ask Vegas Billy. So you really have two choices. Don't bet, or if you're going to bet, trust and verify, or trust and adjust when you get to 10. I'd love to hear about some of your stories about your buddies and how they declare their handicaps and how you deal with it when you know what they say and how they play are two different things. Send me an email at rbeaston21 at gmail.com. I'd love to share your stories. So once you've established your handicaps... You've got to establish the game. What are you going to play? Are you going to play a Nassau? Are you going to play Skins? Are you going to play Wolf? So let me talk about some of the games we play, and I'd certainly like to hear about some of your games. The Nassau game is probably one of the most popular games. You basically have a bet on the front nine, a bet on the back nine, and then an overall bet. And you play a match play, so basically every hole is worth one. If you and your partner beat the other partners on a hole, you get one. And the objective is by the time you get to nine, you want to have won more holes than they've won. And then you all just establish how much are we playing for? Two, two, and two, five, five, and five. And I've certainly heard much larger denominations at the first tee. Sometimes when matches just get out of hand, You want to be able to have more bets. You want to be able to get back in the game and at least win back some of your money. So they have something called a press, and most golfers know this. You get to a hole, and you're down one or two holes, and you basically press the bet. If you're on the fourth hole, and you have five through nine to play, you basically say press, which means not only do you have that first bet, but now you've got a second bet, five through nine. At the same value as the first bet one through nine so now you have two bets going and what you're hoping to do is win more holes five through nine than the other guys and then you even out the bet at least on the front nine and a lot of guys will play automatic press as soon as you're down two holes there's an automatic press another bet goes into play now my buddy Vegas Billy has another take on this if he gets into a match and he is down, and he gets to the ninth tee box. Most likely, he's negotiated extra strokes, and he knows on the ninth and on the 18th, he's going to get a stroke that gives him somewhat an an advantage on that hole. He'll try and press the bet. So you're up 5 going into ninth. You've already won your money, and now you get to one hole where he gets a stroke advantage, and most golfers would take the bet. They figured... They're already up five out of eight holes that you've already played. They've already got $5 in their pocket. Let's have another bet. I'll take another five from them. But here's the thing. After fighting and battling for eight holes and you're beating a guy up five holes, I would say, let's change the odds. Let's make it five to one. So if you want to bet another $5, I'll give you the $5 if you win. But if I win, you give me $25. He's never taken that bet. So to complicate matters even more in the betting world, when you're playing in Nassau and you're playing presses, you have a lot of bets going on. Now imagine you want to add more to that. So what do you do? You add junk or dots. Greenies, Sandies, Fishies, Barkies, Chippies, Birdies, Eagles. Basically, you're adding another bet where if somebody does something that's out of the ordinary, birdies are rare to come by, hitting it off a tree or hitting it in the water or hitting it in the sand, it's hard to get up and down from there and make a par or better. So, let's establish a value for that and let's add that. So, imagine you've got somebody keeping score. He's got to keep the Nassau bet, he's got to keep the press bet, and he's got to keep the junk bet. So, you're hoping that the person that you designate as a scorekeeper is going to be the least drunk guy. I mean, for me playing, it takes a lot of focus to stripe the ball down the fairway, flush an approach shot inches from the pin, make a solid putting stroke, and, and get a birdie. Now, compound that with the consequences of the bet and having to keep score. It's, it takes a different mindset. The skins game is probably the second most popular betting game in golf. Basically, you're playing match play again. Each hole is worth one. The person that scores the lowest on any hole gets a point. And typically, when two people tie for the lowest, you push the bet. You push it to the next hole. You carry it over. So the objective is to win more holes than everybody else and collect whatever you decide the value is per hole. When I play, it's usually $1 to $2 per hole. The worst that you could be off is $36 if you lost every hole and it was $2 a hole. But then, add the junk on top of that, it can be an expensive day. I was listening to some guys at the first tee box the other day, and they were talking about $10 skins. So that's $180 right off the bat. And they were talking about how the match was even the entire way. 17 holes, somebody tied somebody else for the lowest. And we're talking birdies, we're talking a few eagles. I mean, it was exciting. And there was one guy in the foursome who never tied anybody. He was playing the worst. He couldn't get the lowest score, but he was saved because the other guys in the foursome were tying each other for the lowest, which means nobody made money, and you push it to the next hole. You push it to the next hole. They get to 18, This guy hits an incredible shot, makes a birdie putt, beats the other guys, and wins all the money. I mean, what a great betting game. Other popular games are 6-6-6 or Hollywood. It's similar to a Nassau match play, but the difference here is that instead of keeping the same partner through 18 holes, after each six holes, you change partners. So that allows you to play with every other golfer. It's also a good strategy if you have no idea how somebody plays in the foursome. By switching partners, if that guy is an ace, at least you get him for six holes. Another popular betting game that I happen to like is Wolf. This is a game where the four players establish a rotation in which they're going to drive the ball. So you throw up T in the air or balls or however you want to do it, and you establish an order in which one person's going to drive The second, third, and fourth people will follow them. And then when you get to the second hole, whoever was second on the first hole, they're now first. But you always keep that succession of playing. The game here is that the first person who tees off is the wolf. They hit their tee shot, and then they get to watch each person after them hit a tee shot. After each person hits, they decide who they want as their partner. And they can't wait until the other three people hit. As soon as the second person hits, they have to decide, do I want them as a partner? And if the second person hits it out of bounds, it's a pretty quiet tee box. So then they'll wait for the third person. Third person hits it out of bounds. And now they're looking at the fourth person. And they're saying, I hope you hit it in. You're going to be my partner. Because if the fourth person hits it out, the first player, who's the wolf, goes by themselves, and that person then gets to play against the other three players. Now, most likely, if the other three players hit it out of bounds, that first player, who's the wolf, who didn't hit it out of bounds, is more likely to win that hole. What's interesting about this is a game of changing loyalties. I mean, on one hole, you've got a partner, and you are wishing that partner to do their best. On another hole, they are now your foe. They're your competitor, and you're not wishing good things for them. With some groups, we've had the element of pig added to the wolf game. And what that is, is if the wolf is sitting there watching people hit, the second person hits it out of bounds. The third person hits it out of bounds. And the wolf, by the way, didn't hit a great shot. The fourth fourth person gets up and smashes a drive down the center of the fairway. And so the wolf goes, I got that guy. Well, that guy could turn around and say pig, which basically means He's going alone against the other three players because their drives were for shit, and they go against the other three. It's a nasty way to play, but it's fun when you're the pig. Another game that became popular years ago is a game called Animal Golf, where there are actually four cards, plastic cards, with different animals imprinted on them. One is a gorilla, one's a camel, a snake, and a frog. The gorilla is awarded to somebody that hits it out of bounds. The camel is awarded to somebody who hits it in a bunker. The snake is for the person that three putts, and the frog is for somebody that hits it in the water. And here's how the game is played. And first of all, you need to establish a scorekeeper because it gets complicated. Every time somebody hits it in one of these hazards, let's say it's out of bounds, they get thrown the gorilla card. And if you've established a dollar, if that person is the only person to go out of bounds the whole day, when they get to 18 and, and, and putt out, they're going to owe the other players a dollar each. But it gets complicated because as more people hit it out of bounds, the value of the card goes up another dollar and another dollar. So if five people have hit it out of bounds, and you're that person who hit it out of bounds last, the gorilla card is worth five dollars. And you've got to pay the other players $5 each if you're still holding it on 18. Well, you can imagine there are a lot of people that hit it in the sand. There are a lot of people that three putt. And depending on how much water you have, there could be a lot of frogs. The objective of the game is get to the 18th green, two putt, and have no cards. And basically, you're going to get paid the value of all of the cards that the other players are holding. And the last thing you want to do is to be holding all the cards on 18. It could get really expensive. I recall us playing as a group years ago, and there was one guy that gets to the 18th tee box. He had no cards. And it was like a 450-yard par 4 with water on the right, traps all over the place. This guy pulls out a wedge and wedges his way down the middle of the fairway till he gets to the green putts out and basically gets a six or a seven on the hole, but has no cards. So this guy wins the money. He didn't care about his score and he sat in the pro shop afterwards and in the bar drinking on our money and driving home with a big smile on his face. I mean, you got to know how to play animal golf. I'd love to hear about your betting games. You know, how do you do Nassau's? How do you do skins? Do you play six, six, and six? Have you played animal golf, and what do you do about that guy who inches it up on the 18th fairway? So email me your golf stories and your golf betting stories at rbeaston21 at gmail.com. You've been listening to Tales from the First Tee. This is your host, Rich Easton, from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. Talk to you soon.